This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, the UK's Foreign Secretary touches down in the Pacific in an effort to renew diplomatic ties with the region. Over the last few years, the UK has spent a lot of time talking about the importance of our relationships in the Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific. But talking about it from afar is not the same as actually being here. Also, nine Solomon Island children with cardiovascular diseases received treatment in Fiji thanks to the help of volunteer doctors. But now parents are calling for permanent services. You know, they're really no specialist who can work and operate on these children. And what it means is that we have to invest in training of medical professionals in the field of paediatric cardiac surgery. And the comic book artist brings Samoan heroes to life at this year's Supernova convention. You'll hear all about that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans. So glad to have your company. But first, huge levels of government debt in Fiji are threatening the country's economic stability, according to a report from the World Bank. The public expenditure report says urgent government action is needed to bring Fiji's debt back from where it was before the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a view shared by some local observers who say the warning signs were there even before COVID shut down the country's tourism industry. Senior lecturer in economics at the University of South Pacific's Nilesh Gounder is one of those observers, and he joins us on the program now. Good morning, Nilesh. Uh, Good morning. Now, Fiji's debt reached 90% of GDP in 2022. Boy, oh boy, I guess just firstly, how did this happen? So the economy had started to slow down uh, prior COVID, and and during COVID, uh, uh, the, the revenue fell, and, 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 and government had to continue with the expenditure commitments. So COVID-19 uh, economic impact exacerbated the, the scenario which was developing uh, pre-COVID. So, so that to GDP ratio uh, is now uh, just slightly over 90, 90%. Well, as you would know, when a country's amount of debt reaches those levels, there are consequences. What are the risks uh, they generally face and what specific risks does uh, does this pose to Fiji's future? Yeah, so uh, 90% uh, of, of debt relative to GDP is, is very high uh, for, for, for a country like Fiji or a small island uh, economy in, in, in the Pacific. So, so as debt increases, uh, the, the, the debt servicing requirements also increase, uh, which is the principal plus the interest uh, payments. But if, if your revenue isn't growing, then, then, then more and more revenue is going to go towards your, your, your debt servicing requirements, which means less and less revenue would, would, would remain with the government for, for, for public services and, and, and investment in expenditure. So that's one of the, 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 the consequences right now is that uh, as, as debt has grown, debt servicing requirements uh, have also grown which means that government is going to have less and less revenue in terms of spending on public services and, and infrastructure. Therefore, uh, increasing government revenue would, would be one of the, the, the priorities. But, but uh, that's, a, that's a big challenge for Fiji at the moment. If the economy isn't growing, uh, say, beyond 5%, it will be difficult to, to increase, increase revenue to meet all of these, these requirements, which is debt servicing plus uh, public um, service expenditures and, and investment uh, requirements. So, so this year, the, 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 the forecast is that GDP is going to grow by 
6%, which is great. But the forecast for next year is actually actually lower. And, 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 and for, for 2024, is, uh, 2025 fiscal year, it actually goes down to 2.5%. So, so these are the immediate challenges right now, uh, and that is the, the growing debt, which means more and more debt servicing payments uh, are going to come, uh, will, will cut across uh, the revenue that the government is going to get. Yeah, it's a recipe for bad news by the sounds of it. You mentioned the pandemic, which was obviously a disastrous for Fiji's economy. 40% of pre-pandemic GDP came from tourism. But you've said there were already warning bells about Fiji's debt even before COVID. Did the previous government listen and act then? And if not, why not? Well, I think uh, the warning bells were already there. And some of us had already uh, already warned the government about, about its debt trajectory at that point in time. Uh, but the government was 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 uh, I assume reckless in terms of the way it was it was spending relative to its ability to generate generate revenue, and it was it was really not mindful of of, of uh, the implications in the medium to long run, and that's basically what we are seeing now. Yeah, interesting stuff. So you've you've previously suggested a solution to this, and it's one that's not always popular with uh, with some governments, and certainly not their con- constituents. That's to put up taxes to bring in more revenue. Uh, how do you see that that mechanism working out? Yeah, so there are three ways to deal with this uh, at the moment, and, and and any point in time is actually number one is to increase revenue, number two is to to reduce expenditures, and number three is to grow grow the economy. So number three is always, uh, should always be an option, uh, either in the short term, medium term, or long term. Cutting government expenditures uh, is, 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 cannot, be, cannot be done at this point in time because there are a lot of uh, expenditure, ongoing expenditure commitments. But in the, on the expenditure front, what can be done is look at the wastages and, and try to avoid the wastages uh, where government can without actually compromising its its, its, uh, its responsibility to provide public services and uh, expenditure that is needed in investment. Now, coming to the revenue front, uh, whenever government debt, government takes a debt, it eventually means that the, the economy is not growing. Uh, the taxes will go up in the future. So the government reduced value-added taxes uh, prior to COVID, and, and, uh, and this is one of the reasons why government revenue actually went down, but expenditure commitments continued. So uh, it, taxes will have to go up uh, eventually uh, to ensure that government is able to, to reduce its, its debt uh, to GDP, GDP ratio. You're listening to Pacific Beat. I'm chatting with economics lecturer Nilesh Gander about the high levels of debt threatening Fiji. Nilesh, before we move on, would you mind just uh, describing, particularly for ordinary people like myself, who, who definitely is not an uh, economic expert, what, what does high levels of debt mean to ordinary people? Yes, so, so uh, every government has a budget to spend on, on public services and, 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 uh, and investment. And, and the government gets money from from uh, revenue through taxes. So if you're spending more than the amount you, you collect as revenue, there's a deficit, uh, and, and that deficit has to be has to be uh, borrowed. And every time you borrow, your stock of debt actually increases. So this is what has happened in in in, in Fiji's case, and that's what happens in most countries as well. Is over time your stock of debt grows, and we generally look at debt relative to income, which is uh, for 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 a country's case. Is GDP, so over time that the debt to GDP ratio has increased, which means at the moment we have uh, debt to GDP ratio is around 91, 
91%. So as your debt increases, uh, we, and, and debt has to be paid back, which means that uh, every time you collect revenue, more and more money has to go towards uh, debt repayments. So if more and more money goes towards debt repayment, less and less remains with the government in terms of what it has uh, towards spending in public services and, and investment in infrastructure, say, say utilities such as water, uh, roads, bridges, ports, schools, etc. So that's that's what the scenario the Fiji government is facing uh, right now. Is is revenue as a percent of the GDP uh, was 27 percent prior to COVID, and if the if, if the revenue doesn't increase, then what that means is that because debt is high, more and more money is going to go towards debt payments out of the revenue, and less and less will remain with government towards public services investment. So, which means that uh, government will find it very challenging to meet its its, its, its commitments towards uh, investment, and and the situation in Fiji right now is that uh, a, a good number of households in the Suva Nosori area actually don't receive uh, water full time, which means uh, a huge amount of investment is required in in, in water systems. So, so these are the challenges that the, the, the economy is, is is facing right now. Uh, bridges need to be repaired, road needs, roads need to be built, but investment needs to be uh, to be to be delivered where it's, it's needed. And these are the challenges the government is actually facing. It, it won't be able to meet its it, it, it expenditure needs, uh, both in public services and investment where it's urgently needed. Yeah, that's right. You've hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways. They've obviously got to slash spending. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's still a lot of things that they need to pay for, like infrastructure, infrastructure and maintenance, like you said. And also, how does that gel with the situation where Fiji needs to, to spend to defend itself against things like climate change as well and other services? Yes, uh, so the climate change issues are actually on top of other issues. So they just add on to the to the challenges uh, the, the Fijian government is facing at this at this point in time in, in, in meeting the expenditure that is needed to deal with the with the climate uh, change. So certainly, this is this adds uh, to the to the existing uh, challenges the government is facing now. And do you think the new government has the will and the capability to make all the necessary tra- changes to get to get that debt down? Yeah, so I think the government has made a good start. Uh, they're having an economic summit today and tomorrow, where they have uh, brought uh, experts and, and, and industry leaders uh, from different sectors uh, to discuss uh, and chart out the economic plan uh, for the country. So I think that's a very good start uh, in terms of discussing the, the where we are uh, and, and, and where do we want to go as a, as, as a country. And, and, and But more importantly, how do we go there? So I think it's made a good start. It's also appointed a Fiscal Review Committee, and I'm one of the members of the of the committee, and we, we our work is independent of the government. We are currently working towards on, on advising government uh, regarding revenue and expenditure, and and and, and uh, uh, the debt issue is actually cutting across uh, right across um, the work we are doing, which means that uh, we are going to give government some independent advice on on how to deal with uh, with with this uh, debt. That issue. So I think they've made a good start with, with the National Economic Summit uh, by bringing the experts uh, together, plus the, an independent fiscal review committee that is going to uh, uh, put together ideas on, on how government can do that. But at the end of the day, it's also important 
from government's perspective to bring the right policies and, and the framework for, for economic growth uh, to, to, to take place. And just kind of go back to business as usual, uh, levels of economic growth, 2 to 3%. We have to target a higher growth rate beyond, beyond 5 to 6% uh, over time. And, and that's not going to be easy, but um, that will require uh, a lot of good policies and, 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 and other strategies. Yeah, we'll talk about that summit in, in just a second. That's taking place later this morning. Out of curiosity, does does Fiji have sort of a, a, enough of that backbone industry to, to really rectify this in a big way? I know tourism is, is, is a major industry there. Is, there. is there any other major ones, construction, things like that? Yes, yeah, so construction is, is another important industry, but, but beyond construction, I think the, the scope for expansion in agriculture, there's, there's agriculture has a lot of potential, and I think we need to get the, the, the right uh, investment climate to attract more investment in agriculture, uh, get accessibility to land issues uh, dealt with, and, and agriculture could be, could be another uh, important uh, source of economic activity and contribution to, 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 to uh, economic growth and, 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 and incomes. Manufacturing has a lot of potential as well. We haven't been able to grow manufacturing over time, uh, I'm not talking about heavy manufacturing, but agro-processing and other small manufacturing uh, has, 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 has the potential in Fiji. So we need to continuously push uh, economic diversification. Uh, tourism is good. We, we need to ensure that tourism remains uh, productive and, 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 uh, and, and support the economy. But we need to continuously diverse into, into other service sectors as well, apart from tourism. But beyond beyond the service sectors, there's there's a lot of potential in agriculture, uh, but also in manufacturing as well. Or all advice, which I'm sure uh, you, you you will give to the government. Uh, one last question before we go. We've spoken about this economic summit, which is happening this morning. What do you think needs to be achieved there? So I think we need people to come out uh, very clearly and very openly in terms of. Uh, what their ideas are regarding uh, what they want the government to do to ensure that um, we grow the economy, and 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 that's the that's the only way we can we can reduce that, uh, improve uh, household incomes, and, and reduce poverty. Neelish, that's some fascinating insight on what is a very complicated topic. Thank you very much for joining us on Pacific Beat today. And thank you for having me. Not a problem. That was Senior Lecturer in Economics at the University of the South Pacific, Nilesh Gianda. Well, Britain is walking the walk after promising to re-engage with the Pacific. The UK's Foreign Secretary is now in the Solomon Islands after first arriving in PNG for a four-stop regional tour. In Port Moresby, he said the visit is about renewing partnerships and boosting prosperity. Liam Fox reports. They came, they saw, they conquered. They left, and now the British are back with a renewed diplomatic push into the Pacific. UK Foreign Secretary James Cleverley became the first British Cabinet Minister to set foot in PNG when he arrived in Port Moresby at the start of his Pacific tour. I wanted to be here because over the last few years, the UK has spent a lot of time talking about the importance of our relationships in the Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific. But talking about it from afar is not the same as actually being here 
and demonstrating our commitment to you as a country and to your region. Alongside his PNG counterpart, Justin Tuchenko, he said the two countries had an historic friendship, but it was time to modernise the relationship. This is a relationship whilst wedded in a long-standing historic friendship is focused on the future and it's focused on the economic prosperity of Papua New Guinea. It is focused on the security of Papua New Guinea. To that effect, the two men signed a memorandum of understanding to implement a long-standing but unused status of forces agreement, or SOFA. Mr. Tachenko says it will bring their two defence forces closer together. UK will now play a role with this agreement to help assist and train our defence forces moving forward for the benefit of the security in the region. Mr Cleverly also announced more than $6 million to help remote communities move to cleaner sources of energy. There's no doubt the renewed interest in the region by the UK, United States, France and others is the result of China's increased presence and activity in recent years. But both Mr Cleverly and Mr Tuchenko said the MOU was not about China. For us, uh, China is part of the big picture and uh, we respect them and we work with them. Uh, But at the end of the day, they're not the cause of what we are doing here today. It is not about any one specific thing. It is about a full range of things. Dual British and Ni Vanuatu citizen Tess Newton-Kane from Griffith University's Pacific Hub says the trip shows Britain is serious about re-engaging with the region. It is another plank in the raft of re-engagement that we've seen from the UK reopening of embassies, uh, high commissions, opening of new high commissions, building up a bit of a cadre of diplomatic experience in the region. So, you know, I I think it is significant. Though she believes China is one of the reasons behind the diplomatic push. It's definitely about China, even if nobody says so. Britain, along with other partners, the US, Australia, Canada, you know, the, the, the list just goes on and on, are looking for ways to work bilaterally, multilaterally to navigate this new world in which China occupies a much bigger space. From Solomon Islands, Mr Cleverly will head to Samoa and then New Zealand. Liam Fox reporting there. You recognise that music, which means it's time to find out what's making headlines across the region. And to help me do that this morning, I'm joined by Pacific Beat producer Evan Wazuka. Evan, good morning. Good morning, Kyle. Let's start in uh, Papua New Guinea, Evan, where some arrests have been made for the sale of methamphetamine, it looks like. That's right, Kyle. So the PNG Post-Korea is reporting that six arrests were made in a major crackdown by police on meth and hard drugs. But the twist in this case, Kyle, is that uh, six of those are p- arrested were police officers from the National Capital District, which is where the uh, Port Moresby uh, is. Now, police allege that these officers are involved in the distribution, trafficking and consumption of meth. Uh, Deputy Commissioner of Police Donald Yamasombi says meth or ice uh, is becoming common in Port Moresby, and he's described it as a ticking time bomb. 
Mr. Yamasombi says uh, it's particularly worrying when it's police officers. And he's quoted in the newspaper saying, uh, imagine a scenario where a police officer high on meth has a gun in his hands. Uh, so, yep, certainly uh, worrying prospects there. And that's why the police are really working hard to crack down on this problem. Yeah, I didn't see that twist coming. Very concerning uh, indeed that there are police officers involved in that. Let's hope that they can uh, get to the bottom of that one soon. Let's move on. Let's talk fisheries where there is a plan by Pacific countries to develop a warning system for tuna migration. What's that about? Yeah, so this is a story from Interpress uh, News Agency. Uh, so a bit of background on this. So tuna is uh, migra- migratory, as uh, so it moves around. It shifts uh, during the year, um, depending on what the water is like. It crosses borders, doesn't need passports like travelers. Uh, so they, <laughs> they do move around. Uh, but the difference now is with climate change affecting water temperatures across the Pacific um, the Pacific community, that's SPC, they're estimating that because of the changing temperatures, countries could lose around a U.S. $100 million uh, per year uh, because of the change in water. So uh, you would lose out on fishing days and access fees and things like that. Uh, so to deal with this problem, uh, according to this story, the New Zealand government is funding a program to help track tuna movement. Uh, this is different from before. It'll be at a higher resolution so they can actually see what's happening in different countries. Uh, so this is a more precise information and it'll feed back information to countries to decide on how they can deal with this problem, how much tuna they're actually uh, losing through mi- migration and uh, what they can do to deal with this situation. Yeah, it would certainly be handy to know uh, exactly what their movements are. And uh, just lastly today, so it looks like the UN's International Court of Justice confer- uh, has confirmed, oh, it's received a request from, from the UN to look at Vanuatu's call for an advisory opinion on climate change. Is that right? Yes, Kyle, that's it. That's the one, that's the story we've been following for quite a while now. And we had that UN General Assembly uh, meeting the other month where, uh, where that uh, decision was made through consensus. So everybody agreed. Um, the Associated Press is reporting that the International Court of Justice in Netherlands has confirmed that they actually have the paperwork and that they'll be looking into the case. And it's to do with the obligations of states in respect of climate change. Um, the court said it had been asked to ask two specific questions. Uh, first was what, what, what obligations do nations have under international law? Uh, to ensure protection of climate change from greenhouse emissions. And the second part was around um, what uh, legal consequences do nations have for either from their actions or for failing to act. Um, So those are, are the questions that they're looking at. Now, under the court's rules, countries will then be asked to submit statements and then this would be followed up by a public uh, hearing. Uh, and then the 15 judges inside the International Court of Justice, they'll then deliberate on what to do before issuing uh, their opinion at a public hearing. Uh, this entire process could take years to get through. Um, so the ball has started rolling on that uh, uh, story we've been following for some quite for quite some time now. Uh, just to think back, this all started about four years ago with those law students at Vanuatu's Imala's campus, mm. and uh, now we've reached this stage. Uh, the other month, Vanuatu Prime Minister Ishmael Kalsakau called it a win for climate justice of epic proportions. It is a win, but I guess it sounds like we'll be following it for a few years to come as well. Evan, thanks very much for joining us uh, on Newswrap today. Thank you, Kyle. That was Evan Wazuka, the executive producer of our show, and he was joining me with me for Newswrap this morning.
It's Thursday, April 20, and you're listening to Pacific Beat. My name is Kyle Evans. Busy show so far. We've spoken about the huge levels of debt plaguing the Fiji economy, as well as a British diplomatic push into the Pacific. But coming up in about 20 minutes' time, I have a question for you. Where do you go if you're a comic book fan? The answer to that question is the Supernova Comic Con Convention. Curious? I know I am. Well, stay listening because I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes' time. Love sport? Tune in to Can You Be More Pacific with Sarah Nangama and Dean Halatau. The Australian government have announced that they will be supporting rugby union in Tonga, Samoa, Solomon Islands and Fiji. Think about Fiji, they've absolutely dominated on the world stage. Sarah, mate, do you guys really need the money? <laughs> Maybe we need to do like some exchange with Fijian coaches. Now that's a thought. Over here, like. I love that. Can You Be More Pacific? Thursday night, 6pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Well, in the Solomon Islands, limited health facilities mean specialist heart surgery is difficult to access, especially for young children. But a group of volunteers have helped nine young children get life-saving treatment in neighbouring Fiji. As Jan Kahoot reports, it's all come together thanks to the work of a number of foundations, volunteers and families. Solomon Islander Dominic Alibua is a proud and very relieved dad. His nine-year-old son, Donation, is recovering after going under the knife for life-saving heart surgery. Feeling proud. My son has had a successful operation yesterday at about 2 a.m. He was at the ICU intensive care unit since after the operation, and now he got out about an hour ago. So I'm a proud person now. His son was part of a group of nine children who travelled to Fiji for treatment not available in their home, the Solomons. They had been identified by doctors from Fiji's Sri Sanyasai Sajiyani Charitable Hospital during a recent visit to the Solomons. Rose Martin is a volunteer from the Pekinini Heart Foundation and helped organise travel and accommodation for the kids in Fiji. It is a challenge um, to actually get the word out because we, we're all volunteers and we have our day jobs and we find little time in between to, to reach out and to manage and you know do the logistics and the admin to make sure that things are done properly as well. The children are staying with families who volunteer to take them in while receiving treatment in Fiji. The operations are organised by the Sai Prema Foundation at the Sri Santia Sai Sajivani Children's Hospital. A team of 21 doctors from the US, Australia, New Zealand and Fiji will be carrying out the operations. The hospital's director, Dr Krupari Tapu, says the overseas specialists were brought in to do surgery. In this region, you know, there really are no specialists who can work and operate on these children. And what it means is that we have to invest in training of medical professionals in the field of pediatric cardiac surgery. Uh, you know, the Pacific, you know, we are developing countries who, you know, have limited resources and funding. And and that's one of the reasons why we don't have these, you know, specialists who, who are trained in this. The hospital is also looking at doing cardiovascular screening in Kiribati. As for Dominic Alebua, he hopes more sick children back home and the Solomons can be saved, just like his son. The only thing that I would like to see is to have our government, especially our government there in Solomon Island, to make a formal arrangement between the Fiji government and the Children's Hospital so that we can freely send children with heart problems here. Let's hope they can get that done. That was Dominic Alabua ending that report from Jan Kahoot. 
You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Well, at the same time, the British naval vessel HMS Spey docked into Port Vila. The heads of the Australian and New Zealand Army were holding talks with their military counterparts in Fiji. The arrival of foreign military officials in the Pacific come as Australia and its allies look to bolster their presence in the region and Spruik support for plans for nuclear-powered submarines. The ABC's reporter in Fiji, Lithe Mavono, sat down with the the Australian Chief of Army, Lieutenant General Simon Stewart, and New Zealand's Chief Chief of Army, Major General John Boswell, to chat about security. Security, I think, um, is a much broader, uh, much more broadly defined um, area today than it perhaps might have been. So, for example, I think one of the things that matters a lot uh, for um, nations in the Pacific is the security of their exclusive economic zone. The fisheries, uh, the quality of the environment is really important um, for people, for culture and for uh, economy. Transnational crime affects us all. Climate change affects us all and has impacts on people and population. So we take a very broad view of what security means. And of course, um, militaries around the world are continuing to adapt. Uh, We still need to be able to um, apply hard power, as you might describe it. Um, That is to protect people um, and prevent Uh, violence from occurring if that's required, Um, but uh, working together actually provides a deterrent effect by showing collective strength, collective will and collective endeavour to to improve and stabilise a security situation. What about security with regards to China's uh, movements in the Pacific? The relationship between nations is a matter for individual nations. Uh, We all subscribe to a a rules-based order that is fair, that is free of coercion, uh, that um, uh, doesn't um, rely on one's size, one's economic weight, um, but is fundamentally respectful and is based on an agreed Um, set of rules of the road and that's what we stand for uh, and that's what um, we work with others to preserve because that's fundamentally uh, about fairness, that's fundamentally about preserving stability and stability is at the heart of security. I think New Zealand's position with respect to um, China in the Pacific has been very well articulated. We have a mature relationship with China. We um, have a long-standing free trade agreement. Um, We engage in a a range of of forum and uh, we have a degree of honesty that uh, our our political leadership is comfortable to express to China uh, with respect to issues around things like human rights in Hong Kong and um, the absolute sensuality of the international rules-based order. Um, and, and we have robust conversations uh, with them, with, uh, with our Chinese friends in that space. Um, more importantly, though, you know, uh, the, the key messages that we wish to send are around uh, our engagement with our Pacific partners, uh, the friendships that we wish to create, and uh, ensuring that um, you know, between ourselves and Australia, we have a relationship of, of mutual benefit, and we're doing all that we can to support the Pacific Island nations uh, in their endeavours. To promote um, security and, and prosperous, a secure and prosperous environment within their own nations. Mm. Um, gentlemen, what is 
been the response from um, your army uh, colleagues in the region, Fiji included, um, with regards to um, seeing more military engagement in, in the region? So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for some, but, you know, from our engagement today with the, uh, the leadership of the RFMF, um, they've been very welcoming of this approach. Um, they are, they've got a very clear vision of where they wish to go in the future, the, the types of capabilities that they wish to develop and how they wish to position themselves. And um, it's allowed us to identify what the opportunities are for our respective nations uh, to support them with those endeavours. So, uh, you know... Uh, from the strategic leadership down through uh, various um, command levels of the RFMF. We've had the opportunity to identify a range of opportunities for us uh, to collaborate where that's appropriate, to, uh, to support each other if that's what's required, or even de-conflict our efforts to make sure that we're making the absolute most of our engagement with our Pacific friends. All right, um, my next question is about the AUKUS deal, nuclear-powered submarines, um, Fiji's endorsed um, the Australian government's efforts to acquire the submarines, the rest of the Pacific not in the same way. Um, how do you think this issue, the Australian um, military getting these submarines, impacting or might impact the relationship between the militaries of the Pacific and by which I mean Australia, New Zealand and, and the rest of the Pacific? The relationship um, remains very strong. Australia's investment in a range of capabilities, including submarines, um, is, a, um, is a great step change in capability, but it's on a, a very steady trajectory, um, and that's all about deterrence. Uh, that is preventing the outbreak of a, of a conflict, um, because that's not in anybody's uh, interest. So it is a, um, a measured, well-communicated, um, and a cooperative element, and we, we want to make sure that all of our partners in the region are comfortable, are informed, and they understand that our primary intent is to deter conflict. Well, I mean, you know, the decision by Australia to acquire nuclear submarines is a sovereign decision that they have every right to take. And um, New Zealand's position around um, non-nuclear position has been very clear um, over the years. Uh, but there are other opportunities now being expressed in that space and we look at the, uh, the Tier 2 uh, conversation that's now starting to gain a degree of momentum and um, I think our government has already signalled that um, that may be an opportunity that uh, New Zealand would look to in the future. But obviously um, nuclear submarines is not, a, not an area that we're going to pursue. Firm stance there. That was Australia's Chief of Army Lieutenant General Simon Stewart and New Zealand's Chief of Army Major General John Boswell chatting about security with the ABC's Lithay Mavono. Join me, Rick Howe, on Island Music for the finest in ska, rocksteady, roots, dub, sizzling dancehall and all the hottest releases from around the Pacific. Hi, I'm Ronnie Koreni from Sorong Samurai and you're listening to Island Music. My name is Tierney from Tetangio Takara, and you're listening to Island Music. Join me, Rick Howe, on Island Music. Saturdays, 12pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Well, if you haven't heard of the Supernova Expo, it's the ultimate science fiction fan convention. Fans pay homage to heroes and villains from right across the pop culture spectrum through a series of dress-ups, screenings, special guest signings and panel discussions. But one artist is using it to bring Samoan superheroes to life. Michael Mupola is a comic sorry Michael Mupola is a comic book author and illustrator who has traveled to Melbourne for the convention and he joins us on the line now Michael welcome 
Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Well, welcome back to the show, I should say. Uh, you're a Samoan, obviously living in New Zealand. You were on our show a couple of weeks ago to talk about wrestling because you are as you are a professional wrestler, a.k.a. the bloody Samoan. But as we discovered, you're a, you're a man of many talents. Uh, you've written a number of comic books, uh, which you'll be showcasing this weekend. Is that right? Yes, uh, at Supernova, I'll be having... Um, a whole bunch of my comics that I've illustrated for the WWE, uh, like I talked about at the, uh, last time I was on the show, as well as uh, the Samoan Heroes, Tongan Heroes, and Cook Islands Heroes uh, books I've illustrated. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, those particular books you mentioned just then. So just uh, clarifying, so you'll be showcasing six graphic novels and eight comic books, is that right? Uh, yes, yeah, roughly about that amount. Um, yeah, just a... a a collection of uh, books that I've worked on. Fantastic. So, look, every superhero or villain under the sun is pretty much rep- represented in some form or another at this event. Um, but one of your books uh, actually highlights figures from Samoan history. It's the one you just mentioned. It's called Samoan Heroes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, Samoan Heroes is a book um, about some contemporary, historical, and legendary Samoan figures. So you get a mixture of like uh, Samoans and um, you know and their accomplishments, but also the legends that kind of came about um, through you know over history of of our history. And what inspired you to write that one? Uh, so I didn't write it. Um, a teacher in um, in New Zealand wrote it, um, but I was hired to illustrate the the legend and stuff. But he created the book because as a teacher, he saw his students. Not knowing their own people and their own stories, so he created the book for them to understand, you know, where they came from and you know what can be accomplished by their own people. So you were obviously you came in to illustrate that book. I imagine you know um, illustrating such such powerful mythical characters wouldn't be very easy. Did you basically illustrate them according to your own interpretations? Yeah, well, that's the great thing about being a creative is you know I'm kind of. I have the power to kind of draw whatever I feel like. And so it was very much my own interpretations of these you know, mythical you know, uh, figures. And, you know, it was about also kind of representing it in a way, presenting it in a way that, like, youth kind of found exciting uh, to look at and read uh, the stories about. Um, out of curiosity, did, did you, do they, are there any similarities to wrestling figures when you, when you created them in terms of uh, cops, costume capes, things like that? Uh, no, I, did, I, I kept it kind of you know, semi-traditional looking, but you know, uh, some of the action shots I did kind of keep in mind, you know, a bit of pro wrestling action you know, for the flair and you know, dramatic kind of look for some of the action sequences I got to illustrate. <laughs> You're listening to Pacific Beat. I'm chatting with Mikel Muipola. He's a professional wrestler as well as an artist of comic books, many of which will be on display at the Supernova Expo this weekend. Another book you've written, Mikel, I believe is called uh, called Headlock, Headlocked. It's, a, it's about a person who drops out of college to become a professional wrestler. Is, is this based off a, uh, a true story at all? Uh, no, I think it, uh, it's not based off a true story. My, my friend Michael Kingston writes it, and it's essentially, you know, kind of one of those fantasy wish fulfillment ones where, like, you know, if you grow up as a fan of wrestling, you always think about what it would be like if you were a wrestler. Um, and so it's kind of in that wheelhouse. Like, my 
experience as a comic artist and pro wrestler made me uniquely suited for this project. And for Headlock, I've been able to work with actual famous wrestlers throughout the years, including Ric Flair, Samoa Joe, uh, AJ Styles, and stuff like that. Like it's, it's, it's surreal to me that I get to work with these famous wrestlers I watched on TV through the comic work in Headlock. Yeah, that's absolutely unbelievable. Well, well speaking of, of exciting exciting work, actually, I was actually having a, a, a bit of a run through your Twitter page yesterday, and uh, I saw that you actually spent some time recently working with uh, with Disney Animation. What, what was that experience like? Uh, yeah, so I just finished up um, a stint as a story artist for Disney Animation Studios, working on a upcoming uh, TV series, which is due hopefully next year on Disney+. Plus. And that was an amazing experience. And funny enough, it was my first ever job in animation. I'd never worked in animation before that. So, so having Disney as my first uh, foray into the animation industry was surreal. But the work was great. I got to tell stories. And that's pretty much the heart of what I do. And I think the heart of um, Tangata Moana people in general is telling stories. And I've somehow used comics, pro wrestling, and, and animation to tell those stories. Yeah, what, what an incredible opportunity. I did notice uh, on that photo you posted that the, uh, the background had been blurred out a little bit. Are you able to reveal anything on the, uh, on the show that you were working on or is that under wraps for now? Yeah, this, at the moment it's still under wraps, but <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can honestly say once more information is available and I'm able to talk about the project, it's going to be super exciting and people are going to be excited about what's to come next year. Oh, we can't wait to see it. One more question before we go, Mikel. Obviously, you'll be at the Supernova uh, convention this weekend. Just wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, is there? A, do you think there's enough Pacific Island representation or Samoan reputation in popular culture? I know you've got guys like The Rock, Roman Reigns, thing, things like that, but would you like to see more? And Are you happy with, with you know how they're portrayed? Oh, you know, I'm always happy to see more representation and there's so many amazing Tangata Moana creators really killing it. Uh, Luciana Buchanan, who's starring in the, the Night Agent, which is the top Netflix show at the moment. She's Tongan from New Zealand. Uh, you know, you've got Jason Momoa's upcoming series, Chief of War, which was filmed partly in New Zealand, featuring a whole bunch of Tangata Moana uh, creators. So I'm always excited to see a representation of Tangata Moana on on uh, the mass media um, because, you know, we, we, we're out there and it's uh, great for our youth to see what's possible and what's achievable. Mikel, we're very excited to see it as well. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining us. And if you want to catch Mikel's work, check out the Supernova this weekend. And that's all we've got time for on Pacific Beat today. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. It's the sports show with Richard Hewitt. Please tune in for that. We'll also be back at 3 p.m. this afternoon, PNG time for a recap of this show. Have a fantastic day.